Welcome to episode 119 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book called Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. And through this podcast, myself and my co-host, Chris Knutson, try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every episode. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. At the Engineering Management Institute, we believe that in order to be the best civil engineer you can be, you must consistently get better. Get better at your craft, your people skills, and as a leader. And that's why we publish this free podcast to help you do just that. In this episode, I will be visiting with John Keller, PEPMP, who is the executive director of the New Jersey Turnpike Authority. You will hear him talk about the differences between working in the public sector versus the private sector. Now, Mr. Keller was appointed executive director in 2018 after 20 years with the New Jersey Turnpike Authority, and he's the first engineer to assume this role. He was serving as deputy chief engineer design immediately before his appointment. Mr. Keller has managed several of the authority's largest capital programs during his career. Those include the widening of the turnpike between interchanges 6 and 9, the construction of turnpike interchange 15X in Secaucus, and the ongoing facilities improvement program under which more than 15 tolls, maintenance, and state police buildings are being constructed or rehabilitated. Mr. Keller has a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering from the Indiana Institute of Technology, He has served terms as president and regional director of the North Central New Jersey section of the American Society of Highway Engineers. And just for context, for those of you not in the Northeast or New York, New Jersey area, the New Jersey Turnpike Authority basically oversees the Garden State Parkway and the New Jersey Turnpike. And what John was explaining to me when I was there in his office with him was that these roads are, they yield the most revenue in terms of a roadway network in the world. I think he said it was something like over a billion dollars a year. That being said, he then has to, of course, oversee the management of those funds and the maintenance and the operation of these roads. So it's a really, really big time job. And he was amazing. He had me into his office. I sat down with him. We also published this on our YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube forward slash engineering careers, you'll be able to see that episode as well. You could see me sitting down with him or you can listen along here. So we're excited about this interview. I've been wanting to kind of meet with John for a while after I initially met him at a conference some time ago, and it was great that we finally got it done. I also want to just give a shout out to some of our listeners. We've had several listeners email us in recently saying, we love the podcast, but we want to hear from more engineers in government and the public sector. That spurred me on to reach out to John and get him on the show. And we actually asked some of the questions that they submitted to John on this episode. So really excited to just jump into this one here. Now, before we get started with John, this is a free show, and our sponsors help us keep it free, so please, I ask you to support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsors for this episode. First, PPI. Are you ready to advance in your career and get your civil engineering license? Listen up later on in this podcast as I'll be sharing info on where to find practical tips and time-tested resources for your civil engineering licensure exam. Plus, I'll share my recommendations on the best civil engineering prep courses so you can be fully prepared for exam day. Don't miss it. We have a new sponsor on the Civil Engineering Podcast, 
Mazer Consulting. Thank you to EMI's newest podcast sponsor, Mazer Consulting, a privately owned multidiscipline engineering firm with 950 employees in 32 offices nationwide and growing fast. Mazer Consulting's engineers, planners, surveyors, landscape architects, and environmental scientists provide professional services to a diverse client base across the public and private sectors. Headquartered in New Jersey with projects coast to coast, Mazer's offices are strategically positioned to provide comprehensive services to meet their clients' needs. Mazer Consulting is committed to the success of their clients and employees. I'll tell you more about our new sponsor, Mazer Consulting, a little later on in the episode. And also, just so you know, I personally spent pretty much all of my engineering career at Mazer Consulting, and I've kept in touch with them. It really is a great place to work, and I'm excited for you to get to know them through the podcast over the next several episodes. All right, so it's time to jump in to this episode with John Keller. Again, he's the executive director of the New Jersey Turnpike Authority. I'm thrilled to share this one with you. Here we go. Here's our civil engineering conversation of the week. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'm excited to welcome John Keller, Executive Director of the New Jersey Turnpike Authority. John's the first engineer actually to assume this role. John, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks, Antap. Thanks for having me. So I met John last year at one of the ECC conferences. We linked up. He attended one of my sessions and um, you know, he gave me some great feedback, which I appreciate. And I've kept in kind of in touch with John, following up with him to try to do this interview because we do have a lot of engineers um, that don't work in private consulting and they want to get some advice from someone like John. So John, just to get us started off here, why don't you kind of let our listeners know your role here in terms of like day-to-day and what you do? Sure. As um, recently, over the last year, I became executive director of New Jersey Turnpike Authority, which is a phenomenal experience for me uh, so far. But really, before that, I had um, 20 years in the engineering department within the authority. And before that, I had uh, 10 years working as a consultant for two major consulting firms here in New Jersey. And going a little bit farther back in college, I actually had uh, two years experience working for a contractor as a surveyor and uh, sometimes a laborer when they needed me and also in a testing lab, testing materials. So uh, three years, good experience in college, 10 years with a consultant, and now 21 years here at the Turnpike Authority. Wow, and I would imagine, just I had a similar experience as you in college, I would imagine that even after all those years, that college experience is very valuable, the construction. And oh, absolutely. And the uh, how, do you, how do you construct a project? What are the important things? Uh, constructability. Uh, just having the plans, if you can't get the materials to the site, sometimes engineers want to design to the thousands. That doesn't happen out in the field. you know. Right. So it's, it's the practical experience is absolutely necessary. So, John, for those listeners that aren't in the New Jersey, New York, New Jersey area, tell them about the Turnpike Authority and what that is all about. So the New Jersey Turnpike Authority is actually made up of two roads, the New Jersey Turnpike and the Garden State Parkway. Combined, those two roads bring in approximately $1.8 billion a year. Uh, we have about 2,000 employees at the authority. We, the Turnpike started in 1951. It was when it opened. The legislation was a few years before that, in 1949. And the parkway opened in 1954. So both our roadways are you know, 60 plus years old at this point. 
and um, we're very proud of them. But uh, you know, aging infrastructure, there's a lot going on. I'm sure we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we're going to talk bit. about that. I mean, these are big roads. These are two. If you're not from New Jersey, these are two roads that run kind of north south of the state, right? Pretty much parallel to mm -hmm. each other. And you'll hear people from New Jersey often joke, you know, what exit are you from? Because especially the parkway, there's exits, you know, every mile all, all the way down for the most part. So let's first start by, you mentioned your career progression a little bit. Sure. Talk to us about the decision around going from private consulting to come and work for the authority. What tells, take us through that. Well, it was a great opportunity. The Turnpike was going to have a major job coming up at that time. It was a new interchange. And I had a, a former colleague at one of my consulting firms was with the Turnpike, and we had some discussions uh, about that. Mm -hmm. I was just into the project management stage and uh, maybe uh, development stage of uh, bringing on consultants and getting to work with um, uh, proposals, proposal writing. And I was right about uh, early 30s, and I had to make a career choice, uh, public versus private. A funny story is, uh, initially, I, I said no. I wanted to stay. I thought, because I could make a little bit more money at a consulting firm. Right. And uh, my wife convinced me the right thing to do, and, and I'm happy for it, because it's a wonderful place to work when you have a family. Yeah. And it, it gave me some freedoms to uh, raise my kids and also get involved in coaching, sports, and involvement where I think I would have had a much harder time doing that if I was in the uh, private sector. And that's one of the questions I was going to ask as well, is, you know, what do you find rewarding about working in the public sector that may be different than the consulting industry? It sounds like one of them was like you did have a little more flexibility. In oh, terms absolutely, of absolutely. Not that it's ever, you know, a nine-to-five job here, but if you need it to be, it can be. If you want to get ahead, you're going to put in uh, more hours like you would at, at any place of business. Sure. But um, it is good to know that if you need to leave at uh, right on time, you can. Also, in my previous uh, employment, I was getting involved in the private sector writing proposals. And a lot of times you're doing that on your own time. Right. And so now you're taking homework on the weekends, which again uh, you know, happens, but it's a lot more prevalent on the uh, working for a consultant than here at the agency when you have uh, off hours work. So it freed up time for me. There's a lot of other advantages of working for a public agency. I mean, it's a sense of ownership. You drive down our two roads. So the parkway is 174 miles. The turnpike has 148 uh, lane miles or, or miles in length. And when you drive those roads, you certainly feel uh, they're yours. You had a hand in this project or that project or whatever it is. When I worked for a consultant, we did a job for either the DOT or the county or sometimes even for the, the turnpike. And you did that one job, you handed it off, and then it's like, what's next? Right. Uh, so you don't have the overall you know, feeling that this is ours and um, you know, the sense of pride. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just being local here, there isn't usually a day that goes by, let alone a week, that I'm not on one of these roads. So I could see how you could feel that way because we're always on these roads. They're such a big part of life here uh, in this area. So would you recommend, John, that someone have exposure in the private sector, experience in the private sector before they come to government or the public sector? Do you think there's benefits to that? Yeah. Absolutely. While it's not mandatory, it's certainly a benefit to get some experience uh, working for in the private sector for a while. I always think of the, the career, the first couple of years for any engineer is, is the technical phase. And you really have to get 
that down. If you don't know how to design or what goes into putting plans and specs together right. and you come directly to the authority, it's going to put you in a little bit of a, uh, you know, in a compromised role learning that. So it's better to get your experience. Also, it's easier to get your PE's license okay. going through working for a design consultant than it is because as you know, you have to have years of experience as uh, in doing design. Here at the authority, it's more project management than actual design. So I would certainly suggest having some experience, you know, on the private side before coming here. Uh, the, after the technical stage, you're probably going to enter into, you know, project management, a, a fairly young engineer. Hey, can you run this job for me, Anthony? Can you do this or that? And that's when you start to learn more about budgets and schedule and staffing. It's probably around that time that it would be make sense for to come over to the public sector. Mm -hmm. After that, the delta in salaries gets a little bit too large. If, if you're running a corporate office for a consultant, you're making so much money that to come to the public side would be very, very difficult to right. do. But having a couple years experience with a consultant before coming to the authority would be um, well suggested. Okay. So let's talk about some of the differences in the public sector, right? So you have these small municipalities where an engineer can go and work as a, you know, village engineer, town engineer, or you have an authority like this that's large. You, right. you, you told me earlier you have a couple thousand employees here. What are some of the kind of similarities or, or maybe differences, or what are the things to know if someone's deciding on whether to go with a big governmental agency or a smaller one? Well, it's interesting um, because when I came here, really, this is the only agency that I got to know. But in the last year, our organization has really stepped up its efforts with uh, IBTTA, which is International Bridge, Tunnel, and Turnpike Association. So they, it's from around the world, international, as it says, and you're meeting with agencies that um, mainly United States, but there are uh, outside that we have uh, dealt with. And problems that they face or the issues they face are very similar to what we have here. I mean, how do you get good staff, uh, aging infrastructure, uh, worrying about your next capital plan? So regardless of the size of the agency that you're right. going to, I think a lot of the problems or, or challenges, I should say, are probably similar because we have, uh, we're very close with Pennsylvania Turnpike and Illinois and we get on calls with them and, and our concerns are the same ones they've either encountered and they can help us or vice versa, we can help them. Besides going to like a municipality where the, it might be a little bit different, you're right. not worrying about tolls and other things, right. I think working at many of the different toll agencies would be very similar. All right, John, so let's transition a little bit here into talking a little bit more about the authority. What practices do you use for asset management? Because obviously that's something that's super important as we move forward with everything, infrastructure and everything going on. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, years ago, we started talking about asset management, and I don't know how much uh, we were really buying into it. But I'll, I'll tell you, sitting in the seat that I do now, it is a tremendous asset. And I'll tell you why, because it, it flattens out your spend curve. If you periodically or every year put in X millions of dollars to fix this bridge or that drainage structure or whatever you have, you put that money aside, you know moving forward what it's going to cost you, and it helps out tremendously. We have a maintenance reserve uh, program here. Okay. And so we look at major things. We look at our bridges. We look at our lighting, our drainage, our guide rail, our median barrier, our pavement, our fleets. 
anything like that. So we have our pavement on approximately a 12-year cycle. So every year we know we have to do approximately one-twelfth of the overall paving on our two roadways. We know how much money that goes in and we allocate it accordingly. Okay. And we do the same thing with guide rail and even our fleet. You know, We have a fleet of cars and, and trucks for uh, our maintenance and you have to rotate those out. If you don't and you go several years without it, what's gonna happen? You're gonna have a big peak uh, spike in your budget and it's gonna cause a lot of problems. So the asset management is also a great tool for doing uh, regular inspections. If you don't look at a, a drainage pipe for five years and you come back and there's, you know, now you have to replace it because it's clogged or whatever it happens to be, but our asset management will make us go out in the field every year to inspect our different assets that we have and report on it. Right. I went out on this date, this uh, looked clean or the guide rail is in bad shape. We know we have to fix it within the next year. We put it into our budget and um, we move forward. So uh, asset management is really the way to go. I mean, yeah. I even use it at, at my house. My wife gives me a hard time. If we do one room a year, uh, we won't have that craziness of one year having to spend a ton of money and paint everything and redo. So right. yeah, asset management at home is uh, happening as no, well. No, it's, it's a good analogy because essentially if you're not familiar with asset management, I mean, that's a good way to describe it is you're spending a little money on a regular basis yeah. to avoid larger expenses at one time Correct. in the future, right? It's, it, like it's much easier to fix and repair than replace. Right. Our bridges, as I indicated earlier, I mean, everything was a, a large portion were built in the 1950s. About a third of our structures are original. And you can get a long lifetime if you continually maintain them as they're supposed to. And, and that's what we're trying to do, stretch our assets as far as we can. I just want to take a quick break here and recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. Mazer maintains a culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy comfortable work environments, continuous career advancement, and the ability to impact society not only through the projects they work on, but the company-sponsored activities available to them. Mazer Consulting is on the cutting edge of technology and their opportunistic approach to expansion creates personal and professional growth opportunities across all areas of the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. One current exciting opportunity available at Mazer Consulting is a traffic engineering project manager position in New Jersey or Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to oversee projects in the public and private sectors of varying size and complexity throughout the Northeast region. To learn more about this opportunity and others, visit Mazer at www.mazerconsulting.com and find out why Mazer Consulting is consistently named a best place to work. And be sure to tell them that you found them through the Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now back to our conversation with John Keller. So in your time here at the Authority, undoubtedly you've worked with many design consultants, of course, because yeah. they do the plans for you guys a lot of time for projects, for specs, et cetera. What would you say separates the top design consultant firms from the rest of them? What are things that jump out at you? Yeah. I'd like to say technical expertise, but most of the work we do are, are very similar. We're not building on cable stay bridges. Right yet, but uh, most of it is, is straightforward engineering. So the, what separates the good from the bad is really the project management team that the consultant has in. Some are very proactive and some understand the authority's needs. You can't 
do certain activities in the middle of the summer when we're worrying about getting people to and from the shore. Uh, winter uh, shutdowns, how does that impact? Uh, we have very strict operational needs on our roadway. You can't say, I'm going to throw shut down these three lanes for the next two weeks because there's just too much traffic on our roadway. So a good consultant will understand the authority's needs as much as the authority understands its needs. And the other is communication. When you go through a job, periodically something's going to come up that's going to be we didn't anticipate. Either you took some soil borings and something came up dirty, you inspected a bridge and it was more deterioration than you originally thought. So how do you convey that back to the authority? You know, it's easy to say, oh, you know, we have contamination, but it would be nice to say we did this. Here are three options that we have to fix it. We think we can do this and stay on the time frame and move forward. So are the consultants part of our team or is it us against them? The other thing that's interesting is, you know, on our engineering department, we have about three dozen engineers and uh, almost every single one of them has their PE, by the way. We're very, very proud of that. But they all have different personalities. Some might want a phone call every day. Hey, Anthony, how's the project going? Others right. might say we're going to you know, talk once a, a week, but we're going to have uh, progress meetings twice a month or something. So you have to sit early on because if I called you every day, you might be like, this guy, I'm sick of him. I don't want to deal with him. Right. But maybe that's what you want. So talking early on, how do you want this run this project? Okay. Well, let's be a team and move forward. So really, it's, it's the project management that separates, I think, the good firms from the great firms. That's great. So did you all always know, John, from early on in your career that you wanted to get into management and leadership, or is that something that happened? Well, to me, management and leadership are two totally different things. Okay. Management is, you know, probably you're getting older and you're moving up the food chain a little bit, but just moving up doesn't make you a leader. Okay. And some leaders, some people could be at any level are leaders and, and others aren't. So, yeah, from a very young age, I took on responsibilities in, in leadership from, you know, elementary school to high school to college all the way up. I just like getting involved and running things. I coached basketball for a long time at a very high level. And leadership was a big deal. How do you get the most out of your assets, be it a, a basketball team or an engineering department or now the entire authority? So there's motivation, there's uh, setting goals, and there's a lot that goes into management and leadership. And, and engineers, a lot of people, though, are, I don't want to say introverts, but a lot of engineers are very technical and right. don't want to interact with people. To move up in your career, you're going to have two paths. You're either going to go to the technical path or you're going to go to the project management path. Right. And if you're the technical path, that's fine because everybody needs experts in their field. But the project management side is going to require people to get out, to go to engineering meetings, get the name and face recognition, and to associate with their peers, their other agencies and also be more involved. So for some people, that's very difficult to matriculate to when you're used to being uh, maybe a numbers cruncher. And you make a good point. You know, engineers, if you work long enough in your career, you're going to kind of climb that ladder and maybe go into quote-unquote management. Yeah. doesn't mean you're a leader. I'm not asking you for a formal definition, but words or phrases, like when someone says leader, what comes to mind for you? I think it's an individual that motivates and energizes their group to work together towards a common goal. A leader, to me, is as successful as they empower the people that they work with. I think some people think leadership is making all the answers or having all the answers or solving all the problems. 
That's not really it. You need to create an environment that smart people around you want to step up and are engaged and put their input in. So a leader to me is a person that brings out the best of the people around them and gives them a forum that they feel comfortable of expressing their thoughts. I know this question might be a little tricky, but if I asked your staff how would they describe John as a leader, what do you think some of the things they would say, words, phrases? They would say, uh, I'm engaging, supportive, approachable, enthusiastic. I think that's what my goal is, is to bring that out okay. of people. I'm sure that's they fair. have maybe a couple other adjectives <laughs> for me. <laughs> no, but that's good. It sounds like those are things that you want to do as a leader. You want to engage yeah. people. Yeah. You want to support people. You you know, know, I'm currently reading a book, uh, Start With Why, by um, Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek. Yeah. Right. And there is a really a great definition that I actually kind of used in, in there is the role of a leader is uh, not to come up with the great ideas, but to support an environment that it can happen. And when I'm, I read that, I read it like four times. I'm like, exactly. Right. And that's yeah. really it. I mean, so that's uh, that's right. really important. To Getting me. your people to brainstorm and come up with ideas and then you can support them on it. Yeah, I love that. That's great. So, John, what excites you about transportation industry sure. currently? What's exciting to you? Our industry really changes people's lives. You do a project and maybe somebody gets to work 10 minutes earlier every day or they get home 10 minutes quicker so they can see their kids' soccer games or it's creating a safe environment to move goods from A to B. But it's when you build something, you see it. It's lasting. It's there. That's absolutely exciting for me. Uh, being in the public sector, the excitement is is having our own road, something that you can call your own. You drive down there, there it's a hundred percent sense of pride. Actually, when I drive now, most of the time when I'm going down to, to different meetings, I'll have somebody else drive because I'm on the phone calling back to our maintenance or operations department. Did you see this? You got to fix this. And what about right, that? Right. Um, so you're I, surrounded by your work. I am. Yeah. But it's nice when uh, we were involved in a in a widening program of the Turnpike uh, several years ago, and there was a backup every single day at Interchange 8A, and the news would just say at the merge, and everybody knew where it was. Right. Well, it doesn't matter, Republican, Democrat, anybody, well, they drive it now and they're like, I got home 15 minutes earlier. Mm, there was great. no backup. So I really think changing the lives of people and making it a long lasting impression and benefit for the people, not just in New Jersey, but of the East Coast, I think that's a big deal. That's exciting. Yeah, that is great. And I think what's important about what John said there as well is that if you're a leader in an authority like this and you have those kind of impacts on citizens, transmitting that or relaying that to your staff is important too. Because again, if the engineer working on the plans knows that these plans are helping people get home quicker, yeah. you know, sometimes people become more engaged and, and they stay interested in their job when they understand the greater benefits of it as opposed to just, you know, I'm drawing a nice drawing for a contractor to build something. So I think as a leader, you need to you know, make your staff aware of what they're actually affecting out there, which I think is very important. All right, so on the flip side, what are some things that maybe worry you about this industry? Because mm -hmm. I know that there are those things too. Accidents, yeah. fatalities. When you walked in today uh, here at the, uh, the Turnpike Authority, we have a wall and uh, it's modeled after the CIA, but it's a wall of honor, we call it. And over our history, 15 of our people have passed away on the road being hit by a vehicle or, um, you know, a construction accident. And um, that's very difficult. Uh, luckily, so far under my tenure, we have not had that, but we try to be as safe as possible but accidents do happen. Uh, accidents out on the road, 
two of the busiest highways in America, there are accidents. And it's very daunting to get a call middle of the night or middle of the day that there's a, a major accident on the road. And then when you hear there's children involved or anybody, mm, yeah. it's, it's, that's very tough working here. And you go home and you hug your kids a little tighter and uh, you, you really appreciate how dangerous it is. Now, our roads are very safe. We have full shoulders, clear zones, you know, all that we take care of. It's the inattentive drivers. And it's, I can't tell you how often the state police uh, who work with us or are great team members with us, New Jersey State Police Troop D, a little shout out for them. Yeah, um, but, uh, you know, they'll say that the passengers or the drivers wearing a seatbelt. So for whoever's listening, please put your seatbelt right. on and put your cell phone down because oh, yeah. those are the two major uh, incidents that we have. Our roads are getting safer every day, but it's the inattentive drivers that are causing so many of these accidents. And also during snow events. I think people take advantage knowing that our roads, not just Turnpike Parkway, but all the DOT roads, the state of New Jersey and, and all across America, they do a great job of plowing those roads and people get a false sense of security. Oh, it looks good. Let me still do 65 right. miles an hour. We bring those limits down to 35 and 45. If people would just adhere to that, understand that this, it's snowing, let me just go a little bit slower. But there's so many accidents during snow events because people just uh, stay at 65 miles an hour. Yeah. So that's tough. The other things that bother you, not just us, but the aging infrastructure. Yeah. And we do a great job. We're very proud of it. We have uh, 1115 structures on our two whole on our roadways, which is a lot of structures. Yeah. The national average is approximately 8% will be structurally deficient. So if you do 8% uh, you know, times 1115, you're just under 100. The Turnpike Authority last year had seven, and we will rotate wow. those out through asset management. But even with that, at times things happen. That bothers you too. All it takes is something to happen. A truck goes over right. that, and, or whatever, and it could be catastrophic. And so we're doing the best we can. We think we are ahead of the curve. We want to get farther ahead of the curve. But um, aging infrastructure and uh, safety and the accents are all things that are very concerning. Before we kind of transition into our hot seat segment to close it up, I want to ask you just in general, I mean, you manage this authority. It's large. There's a lot of people. There's a technical issues, but like you just pointed out, there's safety issues. Yet I would say overall, you're a very positive guy. You seem very relatively calm for someone who has all mm -hmm. this to oversee. Great staff. Oh, yeah, I, I, no, no. It, it, like we talked about coaching and having right. a great team. The, the Turnpike Authority is absolutely blessed with phenomenal staff. Yeah. And you're only as good as to the, the people. I mean, I'm not making every decision. Right. So I have phenomenal directors and they have staff behind them. And um, it is really a team of experience team event with that. I'm just that's lucky great. to be sitting at here, but it's it, we have great staff. Yeah, and that's kind of what I wanted to ask you too, is like when you come to work every day and you have all these things on your plate, mm -hmm. in terms of like thinking about where you need to focus your time and energy, I would guess that you have, that's dependent upon like interacting with your teams and stuff, right? Yes. To see yeah. where you're needed kind of, mm -hmm. is that how it works here for you? I'm kind of in my position now running it as I ran my jobs when I was in engineering. Uh, part of it, management, is management. So I meet with each of our 11 directors uh, every two weeks on a one-on-one -on -one so that I can have that feedback. And okay. then we meet collectively as a group uh, every two weeks as well where we can bounce ideas off of each other. I feel that um, it makes me accessible to them if there's ever an issue. 
My door is always open, but it's the same as running an engineering project. Right. It really is. How can I help clear obstacles that they might have, right. Be work with them to make their departments all as great as they possibly can be? Right. So you really need to stay focused on the big picture here. Yes. All right. So once again, we're talking with John Keller, Executive Director of the New Jersey Turnpike Authority. We're going to be back in just a moment to wrap up with our civil engineering hot seat segment. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Now it's time for a Civil Engineering Hot Seat segment, which in today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. Advancing in your career starts with getting your Civil Engineering license. Studying for your FE Civil, PE Civil, or SE exam can be daunting. So why not partner with a company who has helped over 4 million engineers, including me, pass their licensure exam and become leaders in their fields? PPI. Not only does PPI offer books and digital subscriptions to help you prepare, it also offers some of the best prep courses in the market today. Whether you are studying for the FE Civil, PE Civil, or SE exam, PPI has a discipline-specific course for you. PPI prep courses provide you with NCSS-approved exam materials, access to instructors during class time, office hours, exam day tips, and a passing guarantee. Right now, PPI is enrolling students for their next round of courses. They are starting soon, so be sure to enroll today and take an important step in your career. If you prefer self-study over a course, you can save 15% on PPI's print books and digital subscriptions when you use code EMI15 at checkout. Please note that the code is not valid on courses or bundles of products, as these already have a 15-30% to discount built in. To find the exam materials that work for you, visit ppi2pass.com and get started with your studies today. That's P-P-I, the number two, P-A-S-S dot com. Be ambitious, go prepared, get licensed. All right, we're back here at the New Jersey Turnpike Authority headquarters with John Keller, executive director. John is a licensed professional engineer, the first engineer to assume this role. John, it's time to put you on the hot seat here. All okay. right. All right. So are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning ritual or lunchtime ritual, something that you do consistently on a daily basis that contributes to your success? Every morning I try to listen to a podcast. I have a half hour ride to work and right. uh, I think it just um, it relaxes me. I listen to yours, the daily TED Talks, whatever it happens to be when I'm at the uh, kitchen table in the morning. I look through what is of interest today. Yep. And I do that. I also like getting in early. So I'm probably here a half hour to an hour before most people. It gives me an opportunity to sit down, look at my agenda for the day, prepare for it, and really focus on, on what I'm going to do for every hour, of course, a day. But also in the evening, I've been exercising as much as possible, and I find it's a great stress relief. Mm. And it, I sleep better. So if you sleep better, you wake up, energize, podcast, you do your day, your exercise, and it's, it's a nice routine to be in. That's great. It's important, like John said, sometimes we don't think about how intertwined these days are. So if you do have a rough night of sleep, it's co- totally going to impact your performance yeah. in the workplace. So you have to be aware of that. All right, John, what's one book that you might recommend to engineers or just one book in general that you found to be extremely helpful in your professional or personal development efforts? Let me talk about a couple. Yeah. Okay. We'll okay. Couple, yeah. So we talked a little bit about the, the, the Simon Zenick uh, start with why. So that's a good book. There's a very quick book that I uh, have talked about was Where You Want to Be Five Years From Now by Dan Zandra Zeta. Okay. And uh, that's pretty good. 
I've read a bunch of uh, books by Malcolm Gladwell sure. that have some uh, relevancy to, to my position. The book that I'm most, uh, I think, has been great for us, and I know my directors are sick of uh, me talking about it, is Good to Great by Jim Collins. Sure. So that book is about 20 years old, so reading it, I was a little concerned that maybe it would be outdated, but it's not. And it, it really takes anybody, and I think we do a good job here at the New Jersey Turnpike Authority, but I want to say, how do we go from good to great? And uh, it's kind of like you keep on getting B's on tested school. You know, I'm doing okay. If you're getting C's or D's, you're saying, hold on a second. I got to really change something here. So if you're cruising along and you're doing okay, what is that impetus? What is that little kick in the butt that says, I want to do better? How do my directors each want to? So I've challenged each one. How do you make your department better? What can we do for the long run of the authority right. that would and, and that book, so good to great, is the one I would happen to say. Okay. Now, in the past, I, I talked about a little bit about coaching, and I read all the books on Mike Shashevsky, Bobby Knight, uh, even uh, Coach Hurley here in Jersey City. Yeah. Teamwork is teamwork. It, it doesn't matter if you're bouncing a basketball or, right. or designing, you know, doing this job as a, a turnpike authority. How do you get the most out of your people and engage people to want to be part of a team and want to excel in their professions? And that is something um, that all those books, from coaching to good to great, are absolutely something worthwhile. That's great. All right. So thinking back on your managers. Think about maybe one of your favorite managers that you've had in your career. You don't have to name names, but what was it that made that person your favorite? What were the characteristics or things they did? I'm going to say a couple again. I I have a hard time keeping it to one. So early in my career, uh, in my technical phase, I had a gentleman who was my boss who would never let me open up manuals. I had to derive all the formulas. And for the first five years of my career, it gave me just a great technical background but but then when that was over i think if i was 20 years into my career and that was the the gentleman pushing me i would have had a hard time with it but the next is going into project management and i had a great project manager or supervisor and he would always say put the best people around you and good things will happen which is very similar (laughs) to coaching or anything like that so if you get the best directors the best people around you and let them do their jobs it's a great experience. And then finally, I, I was into project management just before I came to the Turnpike Authority. And we were working like crazy hours to get work out. And I, I remember I left at like two o'clock in the morning one time as we were pushing out plans that were due the next day. And I left as the last Mylar back in the day. <laughs> we're, we're coming out of the machine and I left. Well, I come back and work four hours later, six o'clock in the morning and found out that that Mylar got jammed and people had to work like three extra hours and the whole thing. And my boss, he says, you did a good job. You took the ball to the, nine, you know, you want 99 yards. Right. You should have stayed for that last yard to get it over. So that was also something where yeah. I went home saying, oh, we did a great job. But as the manager, you really should be until it is 100% complete. So I think from the early on, from the technical to the coaching, to the you know uh, the project management, I've been blessed. And now currently, I have uh, managers when I was here at the authority, and that have been very supportive, but a little hands off, which is great because they're allowing me in the past and, and currently to do the job the way I want to do it, which gives me a sense of pride and ownership. I'm not just doing everything that you say 
do this, this, and this, because right. my mind will shut off then. I'm, then I'm just being the puppet. Right. But they're saying, you want to get from here to here, how you do that is you do it. And I think that's great from a opportunity to customize it. Mm -hmm. And I've been lucky in many of the projects that we've run, you know, I've heard people say, well, we've never done this before. And I don't take that as a negative. One of the larger projects, we started a golf outing, and it was more of a team building experience. Well, now that's gone on for 12 years, uh, 250 golfers a year. We've given wow. away maybe over the years uh, close to $100,000 to different charities wow. and scholarships. So yeah, hearing we've never done that before is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, that, that's great, and that is, and it seems to me, kind of like a theme coming out of this episode is the importance of the team around the leader. Yes. Right? I mean, that, you've said that several times yep. throughout the uh, the episode, which is good to hear. All right, John, one final question here for you. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. If you got into an elevator with a civil engineer and had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her and had to give them pointed career advice in that short period of time, what would it be? Start with technical, but after that, remember that engineering is a people business and you have to get out. You have to have a name recognition for yourself. Go to the association meetings, meet people, shake hands, because when proposals come in from consultants, you see Joe Smith. If you don't know who Joe Smith is, you right. read through the resume, they seem like a nice person. So get involved and look where do you want to be five years from now and plan for it. So when those opportunities come up, you're ready to take it. John, thank you for having me in today as, a, as kind of a citizen of New Jersey. I know the roads are safe, but right. I feel even better after <laughs> knowing that you're kind of overseeing things here and, and everything you're doing sounds great. So once again, John Keller, Executive Director of the New Jersey Turnpike Authority. John, thanks for coming on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the episode with John Keller. It was good to get a few from the public sector. I know a lot of our episodes are the private sector, so I hope that those of you out there that work in the public sector are considering it or work with people in the public sector, which is probably everybody else, I hope it did give you that perspective that was helpful for you. I also just want to thank all of our listeners, subscribers, for your support of our recent Kickstarter campaign, The Business of Engineering. We helped Matt Lowe's to get his book published as the campaign was not only funded, but we had over 100 backers, which was inspiring. And many of you have gotten courses at a really discounted rate through the campaign, and we're really excited just for the whole campaign and to be able to provide that some value with your help as backers to our project. So once again, thanks to all of you out there who did sponsor the campaign or back the campaign. And I also want to let you know that we have released the dates for our next Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop. I've been getting lots of emails from people that want to know when the next live session is. That will start in September. So you can go to the website at engineer2manager.com and check out all the details. That's engineer2manager.com. Please remember that you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 119. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. You can also go over to YouTube and check out the episode there. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. 
Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.